cool thing about blind knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the US, we are in the UK, we are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. And I ask everybody, whether it's my neighbor, whether it was and whoever, what do you not want to talk about? That's the first question. And then what do you want to talk about? That's the second question. It's really easy. It's simple, but it's, it's pretty deep if you think about it, you know? Yes, I think it can be pretty deep. I can imagine how some people, there are some topics that are too close to home or they get offended at easily. So I'm very open-minded. I mean, I consider myself very tolerant. Like, and so there's really nothing that I won't talk about unless it's something I know nothing about. You use Twitter a lot, so you know that Twitter is by and large filled with people posting about stuff they know nothing about. So <laughs> as far as like what I will talk about, um, I would like to talk a little bit about a comic book that I made and how that comic book is uh, sort of a gateway to a concept called Flat Town. So you're not a flat earther. No, not a flat earther, but um, the, <laughs> not, the comic book touches a little bit on flat earthers and people in that sphere. <laughs> Let's talk about flat. Tell them what you do. How'd you get into how'd you get into this comic stuff anyway? What's what's your background? Did you go to school for this? No, not really. No, uh, I sort of I've always it's the thing that's always been there. When I was little, I probably I have no memories, but I'm sure that I probably read comics before. I and <sighs> then as I got older, I discovered X Men. As I got a little older, I discovered I'm not really into superheroes in general. Comics. Nevertheless, the visual energy of what Marvel and DC did back in the day with um, with Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and Steranko and those people, that kind of stayed with me. But then it kind of started going into other places, like a crime comic, sci-fi comic. And it, I'm kind of in those two places. And what I do, my genre, like if we were going to call it a genre, it combines those two things, combines science fiction and crime fiction or the thriller, and the, the thriller in particular, which is the... The classic private eye story, you know, the quest, like the private eye is looking for something or someone. And that reveals a world of that is corrupt and immoral. But at the same time, he remains immoral. He remains true to his principles. So that struck with me a lot as a kid that when I was a teen, that struck with me a lot. But as far as like doing it, um, I just started doing it. Like um, we uh, uh, before we started recording, we said that we live in amazing times. I'm one of those is the fact that if you want to learn a particular subject, the means are there for you. Like there's millions of hours of YouTubers posting, you know, how to make comics, either on paper or digitally. So if you want to learn how to use a camera, there's people, there's thousands of hours of that right there for you. Podcasting, I'm sure that there's a, a lot of information there on that. Like we live in a time when there's virtually no no restraints. If you want to do something, the information is there for you, available. It's I, just you making the time to do that. I hear what you're saying. I hear every word you're saying. I heard what you said there, though, and I got to just kind of, I got to interrupt. You know, I don't disagree wholeheartedly, but part of the reason why I started Blind Knowledge is because there's information out there that we don't know. Or maybe there's information out there that we just, maybe it's not totally accurate. Maybe the reasons behind that are deep or maybe they're just simple and I don't want to go in that direction of conspiracy theory. You know, I don't, I never, that's not what this is about, you know. Um, it's just about learning. It's about educating the masses you know so like you said you know it sounds like we're kind of we're kind of on the same path there just looking from different perspectives 
Yes, I think so, yeah. I guess that brings me to ask you, um, what is blind knowledge about or where does that come from, blind knowledge? It sounds very exciting, knowledge but blindness at the same time. It seems like a, a contradiction of terms. It is. It absolutely is, and that's part of it. That's part of the art. What it is is blind knowledge uh, is unknown information. It's information that's out there, but you just you haven't seen it yet. You know what I mean? Seen it. You know? Um, I think so. Yeah. I, I, the first time you said it, before you said what you just said, I was thinking more of information that has no source, that you cannot trace it back to a particular source. That's interesting too. Yeah. You know, you have to have sources, of course. Um, even writing a comic, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You say, you know, knowledge, but that you don't know that you know it. In some ways, that is applicable to the comic book, the plot, if I can get a little bit into that. 2019, I made this artwork, and I was kind of just following, kind of lazily following an idea. There was all this artwork, all this raw artwork. There was no real dialogue to it. There was no narrative. I, I was kind of trying to do what Steranko did in an episode of Nick Fury in the 60s, where he has this nine-page sequence where there's no dialogue. It's just pure action. And I found that interesting, to be able to follow something and... Mm -hmm without dialogue to guide you, because at one point, Marvel had too much dialogue going on. Like, there was so much that they actually came up with this thing of um, no enough said, where they had comics, stories that were no dialogue. So I did that. I did this artwork. I kinda, wow. It kind of reached a dead end. I kind of stalled out. I had nothing with it. And I kind of put it aside. I tried to, tried to get some film projects going. That met with some degree of success. But what happens is 2020 starts. Pandemic happens. And, you know, I, I think everybody came out of that differently, or a lot of people came out of that differently. Mm. And what happened with me is I was also getting into personal growth. I was studying personal growth because I felt like I couldn't make a go of what I'm doing. Like, I'm doing all these creative things, but I can't really get any traction going with that. So I'm like, there's something in my head that's kind of keeping me from doing this. Like, what is? Exactly. There's something in your head stopping you from going all out for what you believe in, what you love, what you want to do with your time. Time. Yes valuable time is the ultimate resource right yes i very much agree yes yeah so i hear you there on the creative right-brained kind of individual where that really takes in the whole and, and transposes it into art um, myself i'm a musician so when i'm playing guitar that that thing is just a new appendage that that is uh it's a communication device of vibes mm. that is what it is for me it's just raw emotion waveforms and wavelengths let me ask you this you know when you're doing a comic uh like the one you're doing now how how do you get inspired you know do you take in just an event and transpose it into your design or uh, is it based on a concept it's um it's all of those um as, as i was saying earlier this was a concept of just motion and action action and uh an idea right and no dialogue just yeah no dialogue so it was partly completed when lockdown happens and i start getting into personal growth and i have like this time i was out of work for about four months or so i look at the paper artwork again and suddenly i'm starting to see i'm changed already in a few months into this i'm like i'm a different person because i'm looking at it again and all of a sudden I'm seeing things that were not that were always there, but I, I couldn't see them like because something changed in my mind. And I'm like, wait, yeah. I have an entire narrative here. I have a whole book in here. I just need to experiment a little. So I started photocopying that. I took post-its and I would write a bit of, a, a little bit of dialogue. And then that would lead to the next page. 
Mm. And I would do that for five or six pages. And then suddenly, like, it would, it would dead flat. It would, like, um, hit a brick wall. Like, suddenly, I didn't know where to go with it. Went flat. It went yeah. flat. Yeah. <laughs> a flat, a flat line, yeah. <laughs> you're, going, you're, you're going with it, though. You're, have you hit a wall yet? No, no. That's what I mean. Like, I, I kept going with it. Like, I, whenever I was uh, stuck for ideas, I was like, okay, what do I do for inspiration? Like, I see a lot of paranoia in this, so... And I'm a fan of like paranoid thrillers. So, okay, let me watch the original X-Files. Let me watch episodes of the original X-Files and get ideas. Or let me watch uh, The Parallax View, the movie with Warren Beatty and get some ideas on that. Mm -hmm. uh, let me watch all the, oh, the President's Men and that'll give me some ideas. Because <laughs> I guess if we would get, uh, and eventually I kept going and kept going. And that in itself was exciting, discovering this thing that was always there, but I couldn't see it. Things you mentioned, you've mentioned some obscure movies, examples. It sounds like your inspirations come from less popular but yet well known sources like film, uh, like cartoons. You know, would you, yes, agree? yeah, uh, yes, I, I love stuff that I'm fascinated with the power of influence, and I don't mean influencer, but I mean. Something that is not well known, yet the ideas disseminate everywhere. Like you mentioned, yeah, like movies that are not well known, but they have what you would achieve, uh, what you would consider cult status. There is there this almost like a virus. Almost, and, you know, we now we're talking about post-COVID, a virus. It's something that just it kind of comes from below ground in a sort of low-key way, and it disseminates. It spreads in in, a, in an incredible, like in a very wide way. So yeah. I love that stuff. I love stuff like that. And those movies that I mentioned, they had that particular power in that they're not well-known movies. Nevertheless, they endure. They keep going. They persist. Like the ideas that they have persist in the same way that what I'm using to create this particular comic book um, is what I call psychocultural debris. Psychocultural debris. Tell me more about that. I got to know. Okay, so... Um, you know how like there's trends, there's like fashions, there's something that is on for a little while, like in terms of fashion oh, or a, a expression, it's, it hangs around for a little bit for a couple of years and then it goes away. Mm. And that's the cycle. That's, that's that part of culture. That's always changing trends, you know, fashions and such. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yes. 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 But there is this other aspect of culture that doesn't go away. It keeps persisting. It keeps coming back in, in different media, UFOs. <laughs> Um, the Men in Black, uh, Flat Earthers, like this stuff has been around for a long time. And it sometimes it lends an intensity in that it's not so much in the mainstream, but it, it never goes away. It keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. And I'm very fascinated over how, why this is, why these things that doesn't go away, whereas trends just sort of come and go. They just sort of come and go. Fashions come and go. But these particular things, that, and these are just a few that I mentioned, they... Yeah persist they just keep they stay they stay in in the peripheral of the consciousness of the collective consciousness let's they're, say. they're out there on the outskirts yeah 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 so i took a lot of those and i crafted this thriller using some of those um for example i mentioned not flat earthers but let's say men in black men in black are featured there men the in concept of the sleeper agent is featured in there which is concept that's been debunked but i still find it awesome and i love it so i threw it in there Oh, 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 so you have Men in Black on your, uh, on Flat World. Um, not Men in Black as in the Will, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones movie. That's a fun movie, but I mean Men in Black as originally conceived in the book by, um, I think his name is Gray Barker. He wrote the book 
in the late 1950s called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. And, and that book is about that. It's about UFOs. But that's also the first time where people describe men in black, these guys in black suits, tall, thin. Hang on, man. Hang on. It's not called Flat World. What's it really called? Uh, flat Town. It's Flat Town. Flat Town. Yeah, it's one word, two T's. And essentially, it's a place that is modeled after the original X-Files and after um, a series called Fringe. In the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, there was a series called Fringe that touches on the same topics. And I am very fascinated with that. I'm very fascinated with the idea of a city that on the surface is like any other city, but has interesting or strange things happening. Oh, and I'm, in the early 90s, there was a show called Eerie Indiana. So that's a little bit of a influence from that show was a little more fun. It's more played for laughs. X-Files was more serious. I'm making a quotation mark when I say that, but gotcha. X-Files kind of decompressed a little bit. They gave you episodes that were kind of like, this is just a show. Don't read too much into what we're doing. You know, just take it easy. Just enjoy it, but don't. <laughs> yeah, it's entertainment. Don't don't think it's real, but it's. Yeah, yeah, because it is. It's a, it's a, how would I say? What's the word? There is a. If you dive too much into that, you can sort of get sucked into that. And then, you know, you get into the flattish society or things like that, which yeah. is not healthy. I don't judge it, but, you know, it's not I don't feel it's healthy to stay there. And I take that because I kind of recognize that in myself. Like if I'm not careful, I can get sucked into one of these things very carefully. So I, mean, I use fiction yeah. to sort of channel it, to put a, uh, like a framework on it and to make fun of it in a way also. Yeah, you know, you got to have a sense of humor in life, right? It's important. And it's it sounds like it's your outlet. I'm it, launching. I'm trying to get all these creative projects going, but nothing's happening. Like, what is it? You know, like, what's going on? So I started reading Personal Growth right around the same time, like in January of 2020. And what briefly, uh, an incident that happened in 2019 that kind of sent me in this direction is in 2019, I decided to actually go to a Comic-Con. Like, I, I mean, to get my own table at a Comic-Con, like a... I go to comic cons and to me, like when I would see the the independent artists, you know, work at the table, signing books, I'm like, that's the rock star. Like, I want that. I want to do that. But I didn't have a book yet. I didn't have like a book. All I have is like little short comic book pieces, you know, 10, 12 pages. Okay. 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 So you were already, you liked comics. You had a big, uh, you had a love for comics, right? And you were already drawing some comics, (laughs) right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to say three years, but again, a little bit like you described earlier, I was kind of like, not lazy exactly, but because I couldn't get any traction going on things, I would get discouraged and I would kind of quit projects. Like I say, so I would do these short pieces and then nothing for a while. Then another short piece, nothing for a while. Then I try to get a short film going and I might complete it, but it took so much effort that it almost like it took the joy out of it because... The people around me are not very committed. They were not serious about, you know, let's do something. Let's get something going. And I was kind of frustrated over the fact that, you know, I'm making these short pieces, but I don't have the book. I want, you know, a book-length comic book to be able to say I'm an author. So in 2019, I decided to get a table at Boston Comic Con, which changed to Boston Fan Expo. You know, the hell with it. Let me do it. Let's just do it. I, I booked the table. I'm very excited about that. Like I said, it got me fired up. It got me riled up about doing something. I print mini comics of the short pieces that I've done so far. I'm setting up Friday morning. I'm very excited about the whole thing. Uh-huh. They open the doors. People come in. Um, Friday goes, you know, from, and I sold nothing. Like, I sold, like, not one thing. 
And I'm like, it's okay, it's okay, it's early. Tomorrow will be different. Tomorrow, you know, so Saturday happens. Some people stop by the table, they talk to me a little bit, but no one buys anything. It just goes on like that. Saturday reaches an end and I sold nothing. Like I get sold nothing. Yeah. I know, man. It, it was brutal. It was pretty brutal. But again, I'm like, well, it, it's okay. Tomorrow will be different. Tomorrow is different. It's Sunday. It's a different crowd. It's a great attitude. What yeah. happened? Well, uh, the same thing happened. Like, as Sunday comes, I sold nothing. Literally, the whole weekend goes by. I sold nothing. I was crushed. Over. The next few days, I was just moping around, feeling sorry for myself. So I started reading personal growth. When I started thinking about what happened that weekend, after that, I realized I didn't really prepare for it properly. Like, I didn't really tell people. I didn't go to the social platforms and tell people, hey, I'm going to be at this Comic-Con. I'm going to have this table. Come on, stop by and say hi. And I'm like, well, why didn't I do that? And I realized that I was kind of uh, embarrassed. I was a little bit ashamed of that. Like, I didn't want to be, to quote Seth Godin, I didn't want to be on the hook. I didn't want to, like, own the whole thing. I didn't want to own the situation. Did you even know that you could or how to? I mean, it sounds like blind knowledge. Is what you had there. It was um, all blind knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I could have just posted on Facebook. I could have posted, but I a part of me was kind of embarrassed about that. A part of me, while I was excited on one level, I was kind of embarrassed on the other level about that. I didn't want to like jump out there on a limb completely. I didn't go all in on that whole idea. So okay. that made me realize, okay, so that has to stop. So <laughs> what? What are, you have to change that? You have to own it, you know, and be chill with it. One thing I concluded was. There are very successful independent comic book artists out there that you don't know that they don't work for Marvel or DC. You probably never heard of them. Nevertheless, they have a sustainable career. And the reason is they promoted themselves. They, they go out there. They probably, depending on their age, they went to Comic-Cons and they did it over and over and they built the name or they worked a platform. So I said, okay, this is a very powerful platform, but I don't really know how to use it. Meaning, let's say Twitter, let's say Instagram. I don't really know how to use it. Up until then, I realized I haven't really been using this platform the right way. I've, I've been mostly consuming content. So it's like, okay, that has to change. And I'm like, okay, so how do I do that? Good recognition right there. Huge moments here. Boom, this has to change. Boom, I'm not good at this, so this has to change. Boom, we have to do this different. Those are big building blocks when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a creator of content, when you're a musician, you know, any of that. You got to you gotta understand where you're plateauing. You got to understand when you're hitting roadblocks and when you have to change courses. Okay, so yeah, so next comes, okay, so I have to learn how to use these platforms better. I have the Twitter, right. but um, the experience was so lame to the point that I was thinking of leaving the platform. I was thinking of quitting because there was just so much noise and so much people talking about how much Trump sucks and all that. Like, it was just really, a, like, it was depressing. Like, I realized it, it, it made me depressed, like, sad to go on that platform. Mm. So I'm like, okay, how do I do this? How do I change this? I need to know how to use the platform. So the most visible example at that moment was Gary Vee. So I started watching Gary Vee videos who he's very like open. He's very like, he is fearless. He goes out there. He talks like his ass off for two hours. So yeah. I was like, well, yeah, a- another thing I realized I'm not Gary Vee, but yeah. Gary Vee had one guest on his thing called Seth Godin. And I started watching videos by Seth Godin. And he introduced me to the concept of the smallest viable audience. Like you don't need millions. Like the internet is not necessarily a platform for millions. You could, but what you could do is be more specific about yourself. Who are you? Like, what are the things you're passionate about? Hone in, zero in on those things and start posting that. Like, get that in the, on the platform. And to this day, I still listen to him. When I'm driving, I'll put like audio, like uh, audio or video by him to just listen to that over and over. The idea of like um, the smallest viable audience, be specific. Whenever I feel like I'm getting frustrated with the platform, just, okay, stop, take a moment, think back to what are, what are you about? Put that on the platform, post that. So that's kind of what led to that. Simultaneously, I'm working on the comic book. 
and I can tell that I'm changing. I'm actually like more excited now. I'm, I'm reading about how Twitter works. I found out that there are ways that you can filter out certain words that realizing there's like awesome people on this place. But if you focus on that, you just stay focused on those things and ignore the other people. Trolls are inevitable, but you can minimize that. You can sort of reduce their impact. And then the other part is just ignore them. Just don't give them any attention at all. I'm reaching out to people, which leads to, okay, wait, there's podcasters here. Let me talk to some podcasters. And Boom. that led to us talking now tonight like this, just getting into stuff that means a lot to us. Boom. We have a comic creator and author and a podcaster slash former radio host slash musician. Chill with Melvin. We're talking about flat things, but especially flat town flat town is a comic flat town is a concept we're getting into it. what i've learned actually is there's tricks to the trade <laughs> i have two twitters i have the blind knowledge account which is a digital content company so i'm following content creators i'm following as many podcasters as possible i want to know what's out there i want to meet the really good ones, the unique ones. I want them to come chill. To do that, I have to follow podcasters. I follow streamers. And doing that builds the algorithm into that way. You go down that rabbit hole. It's like shoots and ladders. I don't know if you ever mm. played when you were a kid. I remember it, yeah. Um, but there's demographics to this stuff. There's, you know, you, you notice who starts to like you, but who isn't a podcaster. So I just kind of go down that road and say, hey, you know. I'll throw a Jeff here and we'll, we'll interact. It's like you and me, man. You know, I never, I was never following any comics. I wasn't even thinking I'd even meet a comic, bro. And here we are. I you know? love that aspect of Twitter. That serendipitous aspect where you, you're talking to someone, but at least to other people who are into the same thing. Like you sort of, that little cloud, I guess, like connectivity cloud, I guess you could say. Part of concepts. Yeah, and ideas too. Like that's one thing that Twitter is great at. It's like a platform where there's a lot of ideas circulating. Like uh, some of the people that I follow, they some of the stuff that we're discussing, they create little simple diagrams, little simple illustrations using clip art, but are very expressive. They, sh they sell the ideas so well. And again, that's what I like about that. Like ideas, you know, that's where um, RoboPop comes from. Like if I can get a little bit into that. Robo, the Robo part comes from science fiction. Like since I was little, I've always loved science fiction because it's a genre where the ide ideas are the driving force in the narrative. Hmm. And Pulp comes from Pulp Fiction, not Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, but rather Pulp Fiction, that form of writing from the 30s and 40s where like um, writers wrote um, crime thrillers on this acid paper that aged very poorly with time and it became crumpled and it was like pocket size. There is something very primal about that form of writing because they got paid a penny a word. So they had to write very efficiently. They had to write fast to send the story into the editor and get paid. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, that for a second, like you, you have to be right on point. You can't use any extra words. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. So, and, and I'm about that. I like communication that is efficient and clean. And and to this day, I still have an appreciation for that. Writers and speakers who are efficient. They they cut through the point, and they cut to the point. But there's still an eloquence. There's still an artist with a style. So uh, going back briefly to what I said, yeah, also in these pulp fiction magazines like uh, Black Mass, Argosy, those were the, where um, Raymond Chandler was first featured, the, the story speaking Philip Marlowe, the, uh, uh, the character that will become a very iconic detective in novels like um, The Long Goodbye, Farewell, My Lovely, and so on. Also, Dashiell Hammett, uh, the stories featuring a, a detective called The Continental Op. That's where they were first featured. And this leads to the novel called 
a Red Harvest, which is arguably the uh, one of the most influential crime novels ever written. That we can this is arguable, but you can trace any kind of crime fiction or any crime detective in the modern era, like say Bosch or any of the current people that you see on Netflix. Mm-hmm. You can trace back that detective arguably to Red Harvest. Red Harvest was the first time where people, an author, Dashiell Hammett, uh, took all the tropes that make up the private eye and put them in a in a book, in a novel. Private eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's shows, movies, Inspector Gadget, the private yes, um, yeah. or, or even something like um, the, the, the Jack Reacher movie, the 2012 one, the one with Tom Cruise. Like, arguably, the origins, the DNA of that starts with Red Harvest. So that's where Robopop comes from, science fiction and crime thrillers. Those two things merge, and I think that's kind of the bubble where I make my stuff. Because I don't, I don't think so much. I'm on, I think of myself some not so much as a cartoonist, but rather a writer who likes comics. So I draw a little bit, but I'm not very motivated to draw. Like I'm not motivated to become the next Neil Adams, who uh, recently passed away. We lost him very recently. Uh, or Bill Sienkiewicz, or um, my, um, the people who are, are the superstars of comics. Like I am, I admire what they do, but uh, I'm not motivated to draw. I'm more motivated to sort of get a conversation going like we're doing like a lot of what we're talking about i'm sure i will eventually use it somewhere down the line more about maybe i would sit down and have two people talking and then just see where they go from there like have two people sit down they're having a conversation and just sort of i'm gonna follow them i'm gonna follow them and see what happens next and what they do dude i want to get to know you i want to actually know what this is and that's why i do this that's why i wanted to do this this interview i only do interviews that interest me why do them if they don't you know it's like totally yes yeah Town, you know, I know how we actually first interacted. Oh, you I, remember now? <laughs> Let me know because I totally cannot remember. It's funny it, how that works. Makes sense. It was through Chris. So if if okay. you Chris out there, uh, Chris is the host of Cult Film Companion podcast. Check him out. Uh, Cult Film Companion. Awesome podcast. <laughs> They're part of Blind Knowledge. Yeah, and yeah. and he's doing fantastic. He's doing fantastic. That's kind of what we do. We we help build. You know, we've worked on sound quality. We've worked on just little things here and there, just being part of the community. And, you know, numbers don't lie. You know, he's doing just, he's doing the right things organically. And that's how a good anything should happen, you know? And it probably happened in your comic book career, right? Um. Uh, yes. Yeah. Like, uh, once I sort of got my head clear, things started happening a little easier. I would say it's still not like a, Easy. I still feel that I don't have serious people in my immediate environment, but I have now like people that I met through Twitter, through uh, through which I'm doing stuff. So it's a little better. I just say, you know what? COVID's here. I don't have anything going on. I really like this comic thing. Let's do it. Yeah, pretty much dive into that. And like I said, it's been like a progression since then. I feel like I've changed. Like definitely my mind. I'm in a very different place. I think very differently about things now. So it's a it's a very exciting transition. Yeah. At the same time, if that had not happened in 2019, that incident with the with renting a table and then selling nothing, because that's the incident that made me realize, okay, I need to be a little more scientific about this. I think I need to, I need to develop like a my a plan. And so, you know, it sucked, but it, it got me, it got my head straight. It helped me get my head straight to to where we are now, to where we are finding ourselves tonight. So, bringing it back over to these Comic Con events, how did you get in? Because it's not easy to get into those events. And then the second question is. You know, you said you went over three in sales. You know, what did you learn from? What what steps or what missteps happened there? Or maybe maybe you didn't focus on something. Maybe there wasn't a sign. You know, 
What did you learn from there? Let's educate. Okay, so uh, I guess going back to the first one to get into the Comic Con, it always appeals to me, like the idea of like a place where it feels like um, it's in the middle of downtown. It's like in the busy area, in the middle of everything, but it's sort of catering to a different kind of people, to people who are kind of like in a different, you know, marching to a different drum. So that appealed to me. But um, cosplay. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't judge it. It's just not for me. But um. I discovered this, like, okay, I go to Comic-Cons, and in fact, this is something that happened after that first uh, Comic-Con, which changed the name to Comic Fan Expo. They sold, whoever owned Boston Comic-Con, they sold it to someone, to some entity. And some people that I know who went there, they said that it became corporatized. They said they didn't enjoy the thing at all, and they said, we are never going back to this again. Like, for years, they had that pilgrimage where they all together went to Boston Comic-Con, and they had a great time. Once it became Fang Expo, apparently it became too corporatized, and they said, we're not doing this one again. But, and that kind of got me thinking about that as well, because I go to a Comic-Con, but I, I'm interested in very little of what's at the Comic-Con. I'm looking for those artists on the fringe, the ones who are not doing superhero comics, the ones who are doing stuff that is not for everyone, but it's, it's thought-provoking, it's edgy, it's maybe even dangerous also. Dangerous, I make a quotation marks because that's perception, really. Well, so I look for stuff like that. I look for people who are doing stuff like that. Okay. 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 Now, um, what I learned about the yeah, like what I learned about the internet. First of all, I didn't really promote it. Like I, I, I did this weeks ago. First of all, if you want to do a comic con, I think it might be easier now because of COVID. They, they still have to maintain some protocols in place. So you may actually get a table fairly cheaply now, maybe cheaper than it used to be before. But table, depending on the event. Can yeah. be very expensive. Comic, uh, comic, um, Boston Fan Expo was quite pricey. That was a very pricey table. There is one in New Hampshire called Granite State Comic Con. It's a much smaller event. I think it's something like $120 to get a, to have a table for Saturday and Sunday. So I would actually do that in the near future. I would start with a smaller Comic Con and I would actually advertise like weeks ahead of time. Oh, hey, uh, guys, I'm going to be at this Comic Con. This is my table number. Stop by. And do that over and over continuously and maybe do it more frequently leading up to the event. I didn't do that because, as I said, I, I was embarrassed. I, I was not fully committed to the whole thing. I, I was excited on one end, but I was just kind of embarrassed about being seen about, by people, I guess. I didn't want to fully own what I wanted to be. I didn't want to, you know, the, 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 the art as a creator. I was a little embarrassed by that still, by that label. Is when you say embarrassed, I, I wasn't sure what you meant there. So you were not a hundred percent sold on your own vision at the time, or you just kind of yes, sh- I didn't have any confidence in myself to say I'm doing something cool here. Like I'm going to push that down. Like I'm oh. people would tell me that, and I didn't believe it. It's weird. It's, I mean, people saw something before I saw it myself. Again, that's another one of those things that made me realize, like, okay, you know, people see something I don't see it. Too clear about yourself. It, what doesn't matter just falls away. Not in a, like an uh, I'm ignoring you kind of way, but in that simply, this is not for me. This is not what I'm after. Like, that's it. Like, you just move ahead with the thing that you... It, you just cut it off and you do your thing. Cool. You know, that's just not for me. I'm going this way. I'm on this journey. And if those who are with me, like, come along. If you're not, okay, you do your thing. That's it. You know, like, it's all, all respect and uh, understanding. Absolutely. Everyone's on their own journey. You know, the, the electrons are going to go the way they're going to go. When it comes to marketing your brand, like I, I'm, that's still a, a thing that I'm learning. It's a thing that I avoided. That's the problem. Before this, I kind of wanted to stay in a little bubble and just do things. And I realized, no, you need to get involved. You need to sort of be out there because you need to be accountable. You need to just be on the hook, I guess, to quote the coding again. Be there, be visible, you know, deal with the backlash, good and bad, deal with it. 
addressing. Right. The good and the bad, too. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. We both came differently through different media, but pretty much the same journey. So look at that. Like, uh, amazing. That's awesome. All right. So Flat Town, what's it about? What, what's going on, Flat Town? Okay, Flat Town is going to be stories. It's going to be stories involving strange phenomena. And it's not going to be just comics. There, there will be comics, but... There's going to be audio drama because I, I love the idea of telling stories through um, through sound. There's going to be um, web series because, again, I, I one thing I did during lockdown is I didn't really miss movies, but I watched um, YouTubers like who do web series, like horror sci-fi web series, and I was just awed about people. There are people doing some really clever, inventive stuff Especially. with just their phones and just like, posting on YouTube or on Instagram even. And I was like, wow, like I want to do something like that because it feels so free flow and so like low cost. Because as I said, I've wanted to make a feature film for a long time, like an independent feature, but I don't have like committed people around me. I don't have that set of people who are saying, yeah, let's commit for six to eight weekends. We're going to shoot weekends and we're going to do something. That's not there yet. But it's like, well, I can take a phone. I can probably come up with some little things here and there and right. shoot that. So I'm very interested in that. As I said, I am more about storytelling than I am about comics per se. Comics is one form of writing. Surprising. So is web series. So is audio drama. Um, so is print media. Maybe it's coming to you subconsciously through me. Yeah. I was surprised to hear that you're actually not the designer. Are you just like, are you trying to be the top CEO of this company to really expand it out? Or are you trying to be hands-on and the creativity or both? Like what's, what your objectives and goals here? I think both of what you just said. I think both because um, while I like the idea of being a producer and collaborating and maybe overseeing things being done by other people, on some level, I still want to be involved. I still like the idea of working with actors, like whether it's, you know, live action or whether it's sound. I love that. It's such a thrill to like, you know, work through a scene together and pull it. To, um, and then when the scene comes together, like everybody's like, oh, man, it's such a great feeling. It's both. It's to, to grow the brand, to grow it as um and hopefully leads to other projects and maybe, I don't know, through streaming services. I still want to be hands-on on some level. Maybe not completely, but on some level to be hands-on. Where did this whole deal of being involved in the business of comics, maybe drawing them or writing, like, where did you start with that? Was it elementary school? Was it high school? Was there a teacher? Did you go somewhere with a, someone? Like, do you remember how it all began? Uh, it's hard to pinpoint it because it's, it feels like something that's always been in my life. It's probably not true, but I cannot pinpoint a specific other than like when I was little, the, the Snoopy comics. Like I, I didn't couldn't read, but I would follow those. And that led to um, Marvel. You know, that led to the most popular form, Marvel and DC Comics. And then I guess for a little while, I kind of got out of comics. Uh, like I, I got into sports and things like that. But then I came back to it. And I found out that things had changed. You know, like I said, we talk about how the 90s was this sort of bastion of freedom. In the 90s, was like when Frank Miller became big with Sin City. Um, Image Comics came and they revolutionized the business. Mm. And I was like, wow, comics have changed a lot. So, okay, it seems like a really good time to, you know, do that again, like get back into it. And I start doing it. But I realized, like, I'm not very motivated to be, like, while I like comics, I'm not that motivated to be like a, like a creator. Like, I'm not really motivated to draw. So it's like, okay. It's not important to be a good artist, but you have to put in the time. I'm more into writing. So it's like, okay, but right. I have some basic ability. So let me lean in on that and what I can do. Okay. Okay. So you have concepts, ideas, visions, and you, yeah. you yeah. basically are growing your team. Uh, you, mm. So you're having some good, 
You got some good illustrators. When I when you talk about growing my team, what I mean by that, it's more growing people who are more about growing the brand and just expanding further. Like, for example, I'm very interested in your knowledge and, and sound and, and branding and all that. I'm sure I will talk to you about that. Oh, absolutely. If, if comics, not really. No, I will very likely do that myself, but I'm more interested in that and like people who are about using sound like okay how can i use sound like better how can i tell a story with sound better so when you have people on interviews here has that ever happened where maybe you disagree so much that you have to just stop recording or you end up arguing with each other like uh, when you no okay that's good then that's really cool then i'm really like moved by how much we have in common even though we never heard of each other until a few weeks ago it turns out we're actually very close. To, we have a lot in common. We have so much uh, uh, to talk about. I'm, so hopefully in the future, we'll talk again. So they go to Robo Pulp on Twitter. They hit the Gumroad link. And just like I say, like you can you can leave a, a, a payment or you don't have to leave payment. Just if you like the book, share it with someone that you think would like it. Yeah, Keep man. sharing it. Yeah. Sharing care. Yo, Melvin, thank you so much, dude. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm exhausted, but it's been a great time. <laughs> It's weird. Yeah, I'm pumped up. I didn't realize it's so late, but thanks yeah. for on with me, man. We'll see you soon. As a podcast listener, you love to listen. So imagine if you could listen seamlessly throughout every room of your home, your office, your business, or even outside by the pool. With DL, you can. Connected through Wi-Fi, Dio speakers provide a high-quality audio, no matter if it's music, podcasts, books on tape, you name it. I can walk in the front door, go downstairs in my basement, and then go all the way up to my bedroom and not have to worry about any adjustments to the audio. Dio speakers are so unique, they're actually compatible with other brand speakers. So you could have five Dio speakers all across your home, and you can add other brands of speakers that are compatible with Dio. The price of Dio speakers is actually 60% lower than an entry level Sono speaker. Installing the speakers takes less than a minute. You can play any audio from your Apple devices simply using AirPlay 2. So what are you waiting for? To use our discount, check out dioconnect.com slash blind knowledge. That's dioconnect.com slash blind knowledge. Dio, the way to go. Hey guys, have you checked out no, the No, no, Look, if you want to hear something about... You like beats, you like bud, you like booze, you like body slam. Well, <clears throat> this is your place, brother, because we're going to get the beats, bud, booze, body slam right out of your ass. We got all that shit. Good one. That was Stacy. Was that a good one? <laughs> PNMPodcast.com.